Hi there, and thank you for tuning in to Asking for a Friend. My name is Katrina Buffard, and I'm a clinical sexologist and psychotherapist. This podcast provides you with evidence-based information and real-world advice about getting to know yourself better sexually, and it covers all those topics that we would rather ask about for a friend. Just a warning, this podcast may contain conversations of a sexual nature and isn't suitable for kids. This week's episode is really interesting. We're talking all about men and sex. And I got to speak to somebody who knows a lot about this topic and is particularly passionate about it. I chatted to Cam Fraser, who's an Australian certified professional sex coach, certified sexologist, registered counselor, and registered tantric yoga teacher. Cam has become really passionate in his career in helping men understand themselves on a much deeper level when it comes to their sexuality, instead of this narrative around get it up, get it in, and get it off. And we had a really fascinating conversation about where male sexuality is and the work that he does with men in deepening their understanding of their own sexuality, how to slow things down, and what the partners of men in heterosexual relationships should really know in helping men to understand themselves better sexually. Cam, I'm so, so excited to chat to you today. Um, and I love that technology gives me access to, to people like yourself on the other side of the world in Australia. I know, right? It's pretty amazing. It, it's, it's pretty awesome. And, you know, despite, despite the fact that we, we can't travel to see each other or, or be in the same studio to record together, um, it's awesome that we can finally get to chat. I, you know, before we, we started um, recording the podcast, I was just saying how I've actually followed you on social media for a while and I'm a big fan of the work that you do because I think the conversations that you start are so important and so necessary. Um, but, you know, I, I'm the, one of the number one questions I always get asked is what led you into this profession? I'd love to hear a little bit about your story of how you became a sexologist and what led you to where you are today. Yeah, sure. Well, um, I mean, firstly, thank you so much for inviting me on and, and having a platform to have these types of conversations. It's uh, very, very needed. And that's um, kind of one of the reasons why I suppose I went into this field of work is uh, because I, I spent a bit of time over in America. I actually went to university over there. And one of the universities that I went to was um, in this like rural community in the Bible Belt of America. It was actually in the state of Georgia. And I kind of saw firsthand living in that community the, uh, the effects and I would say the detrimental effects of the lack of sex education in that space. And you know, like a lot of young people my age, I was 17, 18, 19 at the time, um, they're kind of putting themselves in unsafe sexual situations and um, having like really... I would say unhealthy relationships. There was quite a lot of emotional and physical abuse there. And I was just, I guess, kind of taken aback by the, the way that the, um, and the, the I, I don't want to you know, um, belittle this, but there was a lot of like religious dogma and guilt and shame associated with sex in that community as well. Um, and the, yeah, the, a kind of a light bulb moment went off for me and I was like, there's people out there that need 
some sex education. There's people out there that need some help with their sexuality, that need just some practical advice and someone to talk to and someone to um, offer some guidance and maybe just some resources about sexuality and um, and how to navigate that whole part of being human, which is, in my opinion, it's such a huge part of who we are as human beings is our sexuality, regardless of how you express it. So that was that was the first light bulb moment for me was when I was at university in, uh, at that age of 17, 18, um, and being in that community. And then I just kind of continued pursuing my um, interest in it through psychology and um, Eastern philosophy, kind of like Tantric Shaivism and Tibetan Buddhism and things like this that talked about sexuality from a uh, spiritual, philosophical kind of point of view. Um, and then another big light bulb moment for me personally was uh, I really seriously injured my back playing sport. And through that injury, I was introduced to... Um, kind of like somatic work. So I was introduced to clinical Pilates. I was introduced to yoga. I was introduced to physiotherapy. And all of these modalities, healing modalities, um, when I started going through them, I started to notice that my relationship with myself changed uh, for the better. I started to notice that my uh, sexuality concerns, and I was a young man, I was kind of going through... Um, my own concerns, like uh, I bounced between premature ejaculation and erectile dysfunction and I was um, watching a lot of porn and finding it really difficult to connect with the young women I was being sexual with. But when I started like listening to my body for the first time and when I started slowing down and learning how to breathe and releasing all this tension from my body and also by virtue of releasing tension physically, I was also kind of allowing emotions to bubble up for the first time and I was processing those things with regards to my masculinity and my mental health. And so uh, another big light bulb moment, I suppose, was that was kind of this learning, this experiential personal learning of like, whoa, there's a lot of value to doing this work. And I saw it, you know, it changed me uh, at a personal level. And so I, I kind of like had a foot in each um, or a finger in each pie, so to speak, uh, one in the academic sense of the uh, psychology and counselling and, and human sexuality side of things and sex education and I also was really interested in like the body-based side of things and um, yoga therapy and uh, kind of the neo-tantric sacred sexuality work as well. And I thought, you know, there's these two fields that are, they're both working on, on sexuality and, and I guess they both have the same end goal, which is to like help you express your sexual self and better understand your sexuality and become comfortable with it and communicate about it. Uh, but they were approaching it from very different points of view. And um, oftentimes I found that you're either in one camp or the other. There wasn't a lot of people, and I still don't think there's a lot of people that are really integrating those two areas, the scientific side of sexuality with the spiritual side of sexuality. So my, uh, I guess like my curiosity is really piqued by that grey area in the middle where there was not a lot of overlap. And so I really wanted to kind of bridge that gap in the work that I was doing. So I continued studying sexology and uh, counselling, but then also, uh, and that was at a post-grad level, but then also I was studying um, kind of experientially. I was doing a lot of yoga. I was doing a lot of um, classical tantrism as well as neo-tantric work. Uh, and then trying to, I guess when I spoke and when I wrote content and, and was delivering workshops, I tried to really bridge that gap and, and use um, the knowledge that I had from the, kind of scientifically validated, medically accurate side of things to frame a lot of the 
uh, spiritual concepts, I suppose, if you want to call them that. So um, that's kind of where I hit my niche. And, and again, to get to the point where I am now, which is specifically working with men um, as a men's sex coach, um, I kind of have this personal philosophy of just speaking into my own lived experience. So I can I can really only speak with authority on the, the life that I've lived. I, I, that's my personal opinion anyway. Um, so I try and share a lot of work or share a lot of content um, or information and education that I needed to hear about 10 years ago when I was going through my own sexual concerns and mental health issues and when I was drinking quite a lot and when I was disconnected to my body and disconnected from my sexual partners. Um, so I really try and just speak to, to the young man that I was about 10 years ago. Um, and I think that resonates with a lot of people because, and particularly a lot of men, because I, I think regardless of context, there's, there's universals um, that, that men go through and, and that people you know, in general go through, but particularly kind of cisgender, heterosexual guys, which is my dem- demographic. So that's kind of where I got to today, which is niching in you know, men's specific sex coaching and, and working on sex education for men. It's so interesting, the journey that you've taken. I mean, you and I have a lot of similarities in in realizing there was a real paucity of, of good quality, comprehensive sex education in the communities that we were a part of. Um, but it mm. sounds like for you, the recognition that, you know, sex is approached from a medical model um, came a lot sooner than for me. I mean, I would say for myself only in the last few years, maybe the last five to six years, have I really started to utilize Um, more spiritual practices in therapy and seeing the fantastic long-lasting benefits of something, you know, like mindfulness practice for my clients where Mm. I always say to my clients, whenever I meet somebody new, I say, I don't believe that there's a one size fits all model. So I'm also not somebody who's just going to slap on a medical model or a psychological model to every single person that, that walks through my consultation room door or now knocks on my Zoom room um, because hmm. at the end of the day, everybody's different and, and sometimes the medical model works brilliantly for some people, but actually we can take a much more holistic approach for other people and that can be really rewarding uh, work for the client. So your your journey is so is so interesting and it sounds like from both a personal and a professional place, you've recognized the real benefit of a holistic approach to sexual health. And I, I really appreciated what you said there earlier where sexual health is, you know, it's as important as physical health and mental health and well-being. But unfortunately, I don't know why for so many years, well, I do know why, but it's too long of a conversation <laughs> to get into now. But um, for many, for, for as long as we can remember, I guess, sexual health, sex, well-being, pleasure has been the taboo. It's been the part of us that should be shut down. It's the part of us that should only exist to procreate. So Mm. it's fascinating to hear your experience and journey in this. And one of the things that does stand out for me is, you know, you, you spoke about identifying as a cisgender heterosexual male. What's that like being a male in a profession that is actually quite female dominated? I mean, I've, I trained in Australia, I've worked in the UK and I've worked in South Africa and I have a handful of male colleagues in both South Africa and the UK and even Australia. But even in the psychotherapy profession, the counselling profession, it's female dominated. So what's it like being a male working in this profession? Yeah, this is a, um, a really interesting question because I, I reflect on this quite a lot and my initial um, 
I suppose my initial feelings when I stepped into this role and, and into the sexuality space and even the spirituality space, which again is, is quite oriented towards and dominated by women. Um, I was very, I would say preoccupied or very concerned, um, just vigilant, I suppose, with how I was perceived. I was like, I don't want to be, I don't want to come across as that creepy guy that's talking about sex. I don't want to give off that, like that vibe of being like that guy who's you know interested in sexuality and, and has that kind of weird energy to him. So when I used to teach yoga, for example, um, I was uh, very mindful of not doing any adjustments when I was teaching tantric yoga and, and you know, it was introducing sexual elements to it. I was not touching any clients. I was making sure that I was quite uh, reserved in terms of how much I expressed my own sexuality. Um, and it was, yeah, it was almost like I was wearing a, a bit of a mask and I wasn't really being true uh, to my authentic self. And I wasn't really expressing myself in the way that I really desired. I was just kind of like trying to hold it all back and, and out of fear of judgment, out of fear of being labeled something. Um, and so it took a little while for me to then kind of reflect on that and come to the realization that I'm not actually doing this work because I'm a creepy guy. I'm not actually doing it because my intention is malicious or is, you know, um, underhanded or anything like this. So I was like, you know, what, I'm just going to give myself permission to be open about what it is that I'm interested in, be passionate about, you know, my interest in sexuality and, just express that in my work and in my workshops and, and what I'm interested in, in, in pursuing. So when I started doing that, when I started kind of like taking that mask off and just really talking about sexuality, talking about, you know, um, prostate play and anal stimulation and, you know, sex toys and all these amazing areas of, of our sex lives don't really get talked about that much. I found that more people started really resonating with it. And I, I think that's because I was being a bit more authentic to what I was passionate about. I was, I was actually expressing what I really wanted to express. I wasn't trying to hide behind this facade of like, oh, I'm, I'm just here being, you know, being flatlined, educational and not having any personality behind it. So, so that's kind of been my, my journey, I suppose, is coming from this place of being like really reserved um, and worried about how I was going to look to now like, hopefully I'm allowed to swear, but not really giving a fuck about what it is that people think I'm doing this for the reasons that I know are beneficial and positive. And, um, and I've stepped really into that role myself. And now I'm becoming a bit of a go-to person when people want to talk about male sexuality, they go, Oh, we, you know, we know Cam because he's really passionate about it and that's what he's doing. And, um, and you know, he's kind of, and I feel like I'm at least, you know, um, a holding point for, for men in the, in the space. And, um, and it's been a, yeah, so it's been a quite an interesting journey for me personally. And, and also that's kind of reflected in, in my profession as well. And um, something I wanted to share as well is that I, I transitioned from working as a counsellor, working as a therapist to working as a coach, um, specifically because of that holistic approach and my other extracurricular interests, I suppose. Um, and the, the coaching model, the coaching hat that I wear allows me to draw on all these other modalities of, of yoga and, and um, Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine and all these things that I've kind of learned and experienced um, you know, my own self-discovery of my sexuality. Um, but I found that the, the talk-based model or the counselling model didn't necessarily allow me to have that, that uh, holistic approach to 
to, to the work. So, and that's been another um, interesting space to navigate between like the working as a sex coach or working as a counselor, as a sex therapist in more of that kind of traditional role. So that's also been an interesting, um, interesting journey to get there. Your, your journey as well, coming back to that is, is, has really been about empowering yourself, I guess, as, as a, a man in this female dominated um, field, but also normalizing you know, being a man in this female dominated field. And I, I, that is why I wanted to speak to you today is because you are the, in my mind, the go-to person to speak to about men and sexuality. And I've said this on podcasts before, and I'll repeat it again in case, you know, I've got new listeners listening to this, but I identify as a cisgender female, you know, and so I can't speak to experiences of a cisgender male. It's not possible for me to do that. And being able to speak, as you've said, from both the personal and the professional, I think is so valuable. And it's, it's again, it sounded like it's been a real process for you to get to where you are today, where you feel very empowered in what you're doing, rather than, you know, worrying about being a creepy guy who talks about sex. It's weird though, right? Because it's fine for women to talk about sex, but creepy for guys, mm. that's a strange stereotype, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's, um, it's an interesting... Um, kind of dynamic because a lot of times like male sexuality is talked about more often in the mainstream media than female sexuality is but the way that male sexuality is talked about is often quite um, it's often talked about quite humorously or it's um, like quite self-deprecating and male sexuality is typically the butt of a lot of jokes in mainstream media like if uh, if a guy can't get it up or if he comes too quickly or if he is not overtly sexual then he's kind of considered gay and that's a weird thing and and so you know if you start kind of paying attention to the way male sexuality is talked about in mainstream media and, and Hollywood movies and um, television shows it's actually pops up quite a lot but the way that it pops up is what I find um, quite unhelpful or detrimental or quite limiting um, and so like when so, for example, when I start to do my work and, and um, I start to take sexuality, male sexuality, quite seriously and I, I try and really push and advocate for it, 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 it tends to be quite confronting, particularly to a lot of men, because they're like, whoa, no one's really talking about masturbation and, and you know, um, all this other stuff around male sexuality in this particular way. So, they, it, it kind of comes across as uh, a bit confronting for them. And, and so, that's been like a bit of an interesting space to navigate as well, is because I can do a workshop. Um, and just open it up to, to everyone. And, and typically I'll get 90% of the participants being women and uh, no guys really want to come. But I get a lot of guys reach out to me privately uh, in a, in a you know, um, anonymous capacity as well. I get a lot of anonymous messages uh, of guys looking for help because I think there's a bit of a, again, uh, a it's acceptable, I suppose, for women to want to take their pleasure seriously uh, and, and go out and learn more about it. But it's still in the kind of mainstream narrative, not okay or kind of weird for guys to want to take their pleasure seriously. And, and I, can, I think that's reflected in like these, the, the narratives that we see in mainstream media about male sexuality kind of being a bit of a joke. I was just sitting here smiling, which obviously you can't see and the listeners can't see, but <laughs> I'm, I'm smiling because I thought I've had this issue since I started in this field and I've been running, I've been running a series of workshops called Girls Night Out 
um, for many, many years. And, and thankfully, they've always been really popular. And I've tried. I've tried to run men's workshops because I have had a couple of men over the years saying, do you run these workshops for men? And I have tried. And there is just no mm. interest. And I cannot... I cannot round up the same amount of men as I can women to sit together in a room and talk about sex. So I'm smiling because I'm relieved to know it's not just me, but this is actually a, <laughs> a, a global issue between male, female, uh, Australia, South Africa. I've had the same issue in the UK. But I mean, where do you think we're going wrong then? If, if we can delve a little bit into, into masculinity and sex, I mean, if I think about the South African society in particular, we're quite a conservative society. And, and I'd say that for most men in South Africa, and of course I am generalizing, they know about sex on quite a superficial level, on a surface level. And when I'm having conversations with friends who perhaps have a, a, a great interest in self-development and self-awareness, they have a little bit more of an understanding of themselves, but very often not around sex. So when I'm talking about a topic, you know, sexually, which for me is as easy as talking about, I don't know, the pasta I'm going to eat for dinner tonight. Um, <laughs> it's always new information and there's always eagerness to learn, but, but that isn't being shown when it's being offered on a more formal, in a more formal setting. So like you, I'm getting the anonymous messages or I'm getting the emails or, you know, somebody's sending me a DM to ask a question. So what do you, what do you think is happening? Where do we go wrong with men in, in the narrative we have around sex and in teaching men about sex? Yeah, this is a beautiful question because it's something I love to speak into um, because it, it, it highlights a really strong narrative that we have about um, male sexuality, which, as you kind of pointed out, uh, is superficial, but even more so than that, it's, it's quite, um, we tend to think of male sexuality as quite straightforward, as quite uh, narrow, as quite simple, as quite linear. Uh, you know, this is reflected in um, Masters and Johnson's uh, sexual response model of male sexuality, which is that it's like guys just kind of you know, get excited and get an erection and then they uh, plateau for a little bit uh, as they kind of masturbate or have sex and they experience an orgasm, which is an ejaculation, and then they just kind of have this refraction and resolution period. And because that's kind of reflected in, in the media as well, guys just kind of get it up, get it in and get off. And that's... Uh, the way that we framed male sexuality is like being quite linear, quite narrow, quite straightforward, and just very simple. And so because that's the way that we think about male sexuality is quite superficial and quite straightforward and uncomplicated when compared to female sexuality, for example, when we start to talk about, you know, male sexuality and, and kind of, you know, uh, take it a bit more seriously and try and expand it, uh, it gets a bit of backlash because people are like, well, you know, why are we talking about men and their their sexuality it isn't it don't guys just kind of ejaculate and that's it isn't it just all physical for them that they don't need any of these you know they don't need extra information or, or extra intimacy or emotional connection or all this other deeper stuff because it's just physical it's just sex for them it's just simple so um i think there's like a lot of that narrative playing out when it comes to um you know, working with men around sexuality is this kind of idea that well, we don't really need it because you know, it's it's all quite surface level and that's all there is but the, uh, you know, the more that we kind of bring this into people's awareness uh, and, and the more we start to talk to guys about sexuality, the more we start to realise that there is way more depth to male sexuality. There is way more depth to the way that men are experiencing and expressing their sexual selves. And there's just a lot of stigma around that because of this really strong narrative that men's sexuality is just really surface level and really simple. 
Um, and that's not only reflected in, in you know, men, for example, but also uh, in the women that a lot of these heterosexual men are sleeping with. A lot of women have the same stories around male sexuality, which is that, oh, he just wants... He just wants sex. There's no strings attached. He should just be able to get an erection, and and that he just ejaculates. That's part of his arousal, and that you know it's it's all quite straightforward and quite simple as well. So a lot of these guys, when they are in relationships with women, for example, they it, that that's reinforced by the the women that they're with, and and because we don't you know, those women don't know any better, we don't know any better, and so we just kind of play into that. Uh, that narrative over and over again, but a lot of guys don't fit into that narrative, so it causes a lot of stress, and that's why we get a lot of guys reaching out um, individually or, or anonymously and, and via email. It's because they don't fit into that really narrow mold of what male sexuality should look like. You know, a lot of guys do, and, and that's all well and good, but if that's the only way that we've kind of conditioned men to think that they should experience pleasure, then it um, limits guys experiences of pleasure and and that's why i think we see a lot of guys kind of coming through um anonymously because they they kind of feel limited and and feel like they don't fit into that normal you know, normalized quote unquote normalized um way that that men should experience their arousal um yeah i went on a, i think i went on a bit of a tangent there but i think that that was kind of answering your question wasn't it no i think that absolutely did and that line get it up get it in and get it off has like resonated with me hugely because if I just think about the average sexual education lesson that a kid gets, it's generally anatomy and biology, sometimes not even anatomy and biology favors, get it up, get it in, get it off. Ta-da, baby. That's what we, that's, that's what we get. So that line just stuck with me. And I think that your understanding of men and, and kind of where we're going wrong as what, which is, as a view that also includes women, I think is so important because, yeah, the narrative in pop culture is 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 perpetuating that. The narrative of porn perpetuates that. You know, locker room talk, for lack of a better word, perpetuates that. And I guess the interesting thing is that it doesn't really matter how progressive your culture or your community is, you're always going to be exposed to messages around the get it up get it in and get it off and that's really fascinating but you 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 touched on how men you know we i suppose we've been speaking a little bit about that superficial level of sexuality and i i I don't mean to say that all men are superficially educated about sex but just have very sort of surface level knowledge so how would how would men go about deepening their experience of sex what's some of the the work that you would do with men to help them get a real or get really in touch with themselves on a sexual level yeah the the first thing that i always do with men and this is just because it resonates with me and it's something that i value and it's also just the my approach i suppose to the work is introduce like evidence-based and uh, alternative narratives of like male sexuality. So um, as opposed to that, you know, get it up, get it in and get it off. I can kind of break that down into a couple of examples, which is like, you know, I I explained to guys about, uh, you know, genital non-concordance, for example, which is that you can be aroused and you can experience pleasure even if you don't have an erection. You know, and vice versa, you can have an erection and not really feel too aroused and not really feel a lot of pleasure. And then things like you know, ejaculation and orgasm, I kind of explained to them that ejaculation and orgasm are two separate physiological processes and you can experience one without the other and vice versa. Um, and then you know, kind of explaining to them that they you know, successful, quote unquote, successful sex doesn't mean you have to 
pound away for 45 minutes and then finish with a money shot like you like you see in porn, um, that there's other ways of experiencing pleasure with your partner and that you're not just limited to your genitals. So I just kind of open the door for them a little bit um, and explain to them like, hey, here's all these ideas that you've probably um, not even really thought about, but you just kind of absorbed from the messages that you've had around sexuality from your friends, from your girlfriends, from the media, um, from school, uh, that are probably stifling and limiting your sexuality. So that's kind of the first port of call that I have is just kind of challenge softly, gently some of those um, quite strongly held beliefs that a lot of men have about their sexuality and what it quote unquote should look like. There's a lot of shooting when it comes to men and their own expression of sexuality. If they don't fit into what it should look like, then they feel like something's wrong with them. So I just kind of expand what their understanding is of, of sexual expression. Um, and then from there, offer some really practical advice, which is to start exploring the rest of their body. You know, like I feel like a lot of men are just kind of waiting for permission, waiting to be told that it's okay and that it's normal and that it's not weird to when they're masturbating to maybe touch their chest or touch their face or touch their ass, for example, and, and start exploring pleasure in other areas of their body. There's a lot of stigma around you know, full-bodied pleasure for men and, and they kind of really only think that they're only allowed to experience pleasure just in their genitals. And so when that translates into partner-based sex, a lot of guys just rush for penetration. They just rush for their partner's genitals and um, and and that can cause a bit of friction in that sexual encounter because uh, it, it kind of stifles and limits that partner experience of pleasure as well. So um, I start you know, offering just some, some guidance and just invite them, I suppose, into these other ways of, of exploring their body, other ways of experiencing pleasure. Um, and then through that, I introduce them to some maybe some breathing exercises um, to, to slow them down. A lot of guys kind of rush to get to that end goal. A lot of guys are goal-oriented when it comes to their sexual experience. They want to get to that orgasm. They want to get to that ejaculation. That's the, that's the kind of pinnacle of their, of their sexual experience. Um, so I you know, kind of explain to them, look, you can, you can experience heightened states of pleasure without needing to get to that ejaculation as quickly as possible. Um, and so I give them some breathing exercises, some movement-based exercises. I get them to do some specific things when they're self-pleasuring and masturbating. Um, and then it's just kind of a, a gradual snowball effect from there. Once they start, I guess because you know, they've been introduced to, to some, con some conceptualizations and some intellectualizations of these ideas. And then I get them to kind of embody it and experience it somatically uh, in their physical self. And then once they kind of that light bulb goes off for them, then there's this snowball effect of like, okay, cool. What else is there that I can do? How much more pleasure can I experience? Where else can I go with my sexual expression? And the door is just kind of fully open then for, for more experiences. It's amazing. Um, people are all the same. These are the conversations I have with women all the time. And I have with, I have with men as well. Um, and you know, the, the, the shift that we have to take in our, the way we speak about sex from a performance orientated exercise to a pleasure orientated exercise. It's like my lifelong mission to try and get people <laughs> to understand that sex is not about performing. Sex is about pleasure. Whether you come or not, it doesn't matter. Whether you touch mm. your genitals or not, it doesn't matter. Did you have fun? Was it pleasurable? Did you feel connected to this person that you're with, whether that's your partner or a casual partner? We have such a, such a goal, as you said, a goal-orientated view of sex. So 
again, I'm sitting here smiling, thinking like, oh, this is so good to hear that this is what it's like for men too. You know, it's not just like this for women and that I'm having these conversations with my clients. You are having these conversations with your clients and no matter where we are in the world and no matter who it is that we're working with, we're having to have almost always the same sorts of conversations. What I really like that you touched on was the the breathing and the breath work. And obviously that speaks to your own personal experience as well, as well in the somatic work that you're doing. What, what exactly, I mean, does that fit in with this idea of conscious sexuality or sexual energy? I'm, I'm not particularly knowledgeable on on the two terms and i wonder if you can delve into that a little bit if i've maybe gone down a different path i'm not sure <laughs> yeah totally my um so my understanding of sexual energy um, i use a very very simple example to demonstrate this um and this resonates with a lot of guys and hopefully it resonates with some some women as well but the sexual energy is like imagine your doing something physical you're you're at the gym or you're you're doing some sort of physical activity maybe you're playing sport or whatever it might be and someone who you find attractive or someone who you're attracted to or someone who you find really good looking and kind of sparks a little bit of that like oh um they're they're quite good looking oh there's a little bit of that arousal um and a little bit of that attraction and they kind of catch your eye and they smile at you and you get that like oh my god they've seen me and they've kind of smiled at me and there's like a little bit of a vibe there and it makes you want to, it gives you that little bit of burst of energy to kind of do whatever that physical thing that is that you're doing a little bit harder. Maybe you're, you're running and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to run. Well, I've just got that little bit of extra burst of energy to kind of run a little bit harder to kind of, you know, um, impress or, or show off to this person I'm attracted to. Or you're, you're lifting some weights and like, yeah, I can get a couple more reps in, just look nice and strong. Or you're doing something physically, you know, you're exerting some sort of physical energy uh, and that attraction and that little spark of arousal, that little spark of connection with that person kind of makes you do that physical activity a little bit stronger or harder. That to me, that little burst that you get is sexual energy. That's that thing that makes you kind of uh, feel a little bit more alive, feel, feel a little bit more like you can exert a little bit more energy. But the, the key to that analogy is recognising that your sexual energy or that little burst of energy that you get isn't dependent upon that person. It isn't dependent upon that other stimulus or that, that external stimulus. It's, that's generated from within you. And you can tap into that, that little burst of energy, and, and then also expand it and multiply it and move it through your body anytime that you want with a little bit of training, with a little bit of awareness. So that, that's my understanding of sexual energy. And you can, you can bring that little burst of energy and, and move it through your body when you're dancing for example, or when you're meditating or when you're practicing yoga or when you're giving a speech or when you're cooking dinner or when you're doing anything really um, because it comes from within you and it's just a matter of tapping into that feeling uh, and kind of building it up. So that's my understanding of, of sexual energy and the breath, I suppose, um, is one of the key things to bring your awareness to that feeling and to then start to expand it and move it through your body a little bit. We breathe 20,000 plus times a day and a lot of us are breathing quite shallowly and, and what's, we engage in what's called thoracic breathing, which is breathing into the chest, which is a way of engaging the sympathetic nervous system. It keeps us in a state of uh, survival, keeps us in a state of fight or flight, that, that um, sympathetic nervous system response. But by learning how to breathe a little bit deeper, by learning how to breathe into your diaphragm and, and then practice what's called diaphragmatic breathing, 
a lot of yoga teachers or mindfulness practitioners will say, yeah, breathe into your belly, breathe down into your um, pelvic floor. What they're really kind of encouraging you to do is to breathe down into the diaphragm, which by virtue of doing that starts to engage your parasympathetic nervous system, which is your rest and digest response, your relaxation response. And, and when you do that, when you start to engage that part of your nervous system, that branch, you actually feel more, you actually notice more sensations in your body. And you know, there's a lot of reasons why, but one of the predominant reasons is because the sympathetic nervous system, because it's for survival, only goes to your areas of the body that you need to survive. It goes to a, a minimal amount of, of areas so that you can conserve energy and get ready to, to run or to fight off something or to, you know, or to survive. Um, but the parasympathetic nervous system innovates way more of the body. It, it, it connects to your limbs, it connects to your fingers and your toes and other areas of your genitals and, and goes to all these other uh, non-essential areas of your body, the areas of your body that are, are really there for recreation and for pleasure. Uh, and so when you're slowing down and you're breathing down into the diaphragm, you feel all of those areas. Uh, and so by virtue of doing that, in conjunction with bringing your awareness to that sexual energy or that, that feeling that I was describing earlier, you actually notice more of that in your body uh, and you become aware of pleasure and pleasurable sensations in areas other than just your genitals or other than just your um, kind of sex centers. So that's kind of my, my understanding of sexual energy and, and one really easy way just to kind of expand it through the body. Yeah, and, and for, for anybody listening, just putting one hand on your chest and one hand on your stomach and taking a very deep breath in can help you recognize whether you're doing those shallow breaths or whether you're doing that deep diaphragmatic breath. And the thing with that deep breathing, as you were describing, it, it, it's going to activate the parasympathetic nervous system. I, I talk about that, like the paramedic that comes in to just make sure everything's okay. But we're wanting to just slow the whole central nervous system down. And that's kind of like what we want to do with sex as well. We, of course, it's always, a quickie's always great, but we also just want to slow everything down. We don't want the sole purpose of the activity to, you know, be like a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, and let's move on. We need it to be slow and sensual and connected and working on, on one's breath for a man helps us to ground ourselves, helps us to, to center ourselves, helps us to just be in the moment and, and, and slow things down, meaning, uh, or slowing things down helps us to just connect in, a, in quite a deeper way with not only ourselves, but hopefully our partner. Um, how, how does doing something like breath work impact a man's life overall? I mean, not just sex, but can it have positive impact in other areas? Yeah, totally. Like the, just to kind of briefly speak into what you just shared, the, the, um, like that narrative of, of, um, sex is only for procreation and reproduction and it's just purely biological and it's just purely physical. That's reflected in the way that we breathe and the way that we have sex through that sympathetic nervous system, which is to survive. You know? and, and part of that survival is you know, procreation, passing on your genes. So a lot, of, a lot of men, a lot of people in general are having sex to survive. They're having procreative sex, but they don't really know it, right? They're just having sex from that sympathetic nervous system, from that survival mechanism in their body. But you know, sex is not just for that. We can have sex for pleasure. We can have sex to connect. We can have sex to express. We can have sex for all these other amazing reasons. You know, procreation is just one reason. But the, 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 the key to kind of doing that is, like you've just shared, is, is slowing down, is learning how to breathe, is learning how to step into your parasympathetic nervous system so you're not having sex from that survival space. You're not having 
you know, kind of caveman style sex, you're having a bit more of, a, uh, of an open um, sexual experience and expression. Um, and so, you know, I'm a big believer in uh, the way that you, I often say this quite crudely, it's the way that you wank is the way that you fuck, which is the way that you live. But really what that kind of means is like, you know, the, the way that we express our sexuality, which is really inextricably linked to who we are as a person, uh, impacts the way that we interact with people, every single person in our life, really. Like our sexuality or our lack of understanding of our sexuality informs the way that we interact with and, and form relationships with literally everyone, whether it's a, a family member or a colleague or a lover or a religious authority or a child. The, the way that we understand our sexual selves and what's appropriate and how to express it is, um, it, you know, it informs those relationships and informs how we show up in those relationships. So if we're learning how to breathe and slow down and understand our sexuality and, and kind of you know, become familiar and comfortable with it, then we become more comfortable and aware of how we're showing up in, in the relationships that we have with, with all the people that I've just kind of mentioned. So you know, not only is it, is it helping, you know, not only is breathing and, and slowing down and mindfulness kind of helping sexually, but it's also really helpful for yeah, just our general daily interactions and, and alleviating stress and allowing us to experience more pleasure, allowing us to slow down. And you know, pleasure, I, I use the word pleasure a lot, but it's not just sexual pleasure, you know, but the, the pleasure of eating a meal, the pleasure of going for a walk, the pleasure of feeling the wind against your hair, you know, the, the pleasure of um, enjoying uh, the forest or the ocean, you know, all these other you know, life's pleasures, not just explicitly sexual pleasures as well. Learning how to breathe and slow down can really open you up to all of that. It's, it's interesting because the, yeah, what, what you're saying, I, I, you know, the, the way you're looking at people's experiences alone sexually with a partner sexually, how that translates into their life. For me, I think we underestimate how much our view of sex is actually inherent to our experiences in life overall. And so if, if we've got quite a negative view of sex, one where we believe maybe as a woman that our sole purpose in life is to, you know, please a husband and to have babies. It will often, it will often be the case that that person will be experiencing certain other, I don't know, level, certain other, will hold certain other beliefs in other areas of life. And I, th I think we really underestimate how much our expectations and belief systems around sex are informed by our overall experience of life, our upbringing, um, connections with other people, and vice versa. It's, as you say, you know, pleasure, when, when I say pleasure, obviously, because I'm a sexologist like yourself, people might just automatically assume sexual pleasure, but we're talking about life's pleasures, everything that gives us a lovely dopamine kick in our brain that makes us enjoy something, and being able to translate that experience of pleasure across different areas of our life is really beneficial to us. Being able to slow everything down across different areas of our life can be really beneficial to us. And if I just think about the work that I've been doing with clients over the years, um, I so often see, you know, high, the, the high correlations between anxiety in everyday life and anxiety in the bedroom. 
you know, um, and negative views of, of partners or relationships and, and difficulties in the bedroom. And I don't know about you, but um, I'd say the majority of the time that clients come to see me, they, they come with what they think is a sexual problem. But what's actually happening is that difficulties they're facing sexually are as a result of or a symptom of something that they're experiencing in another area of their life. So whether that's, you know, generalized anxiety, high levels of stress and burnout, relationship dissatisfaction, and that is resulting in sexual difficulties. And again, most people don't make the connection. They think, okay, well, I can't get it up. So that must mean I have a problem sexually. So therefore I need to, you know, see a sexologist, which is, yes, of course, great. But maybe we can help you understand that there's need to slow down in other areas of your life. There's need to prioritize your health in other areas well, in, in your life. There's so many different parts of us that are integrated into our sexuality and, and, and have that kind of, um, where there's a symbiotic relationship. Um, Cam, I, I, I like to kind of, um, I want to kind of wrap up. Um, one of the things that I, I realized that I would want to know, um, for female partners of, of these men that you work with, I mean, what would you want them to know? What would you really want women to know who were interacting with perhaps the men you work with or men in general? Mm, there's, uh, there's a lot. So I'll, I'll try and be concise and, and boil it down into like two or three points. Uh, one is that a, a lot of men um, understand or experience intimacy, you know, this is a generalisation, but experience intimacy different to, to women. They're, for a lot of men, at least the men that I work with, intimacy um, is experienced through doing things, through actioning something, through doing an activity together, for example, um, this is in contrast to a lot of the women that I've worked with and, and spoken to who experience intimacy through sharing or through emotional expression. A lot of guys, because they're not necessarily really encouraged to express their emotions, there's not a lot of um, support, I would say, societally for men to open up and be vulnerable. Uh, a lot of guys find it difficult to, exp uh, to, to um, experience intimacy that way. They find it quite confronting. So for them, intimacy tends to be, like I said, action-oriented. So going for a walk or doing an activity or going for a drive or, or doing something together with the, the, the woman in their life. Um, and so you know, it's important to know that because uh, one of those activities, the things that, they, you know, that men want to do with their partner or with the women that they are in a relationship with is to, be, uh, is to have sex, is to be physically intimate. So for a lot of men... Uh, who are looking for intimacy, who are looking for deeper connection, who are looking for something to, um, you have to they want to experience affection, they want to experience that vulnerability, they want to experience that deeper um, connection. They're, one of the only avenues for them is to be physically intimate, is to, be, is, is to, uh, is to have sex, is to, is to pursue sex with their female partner. So um, you know, within the context of consent and boundaries and, and not doing things that you're uncomfortable with you know, for, for, for a lot of women, sex is an outgrowth of intimacy that they already feel. But for a lot of men that pursuing of physical touch and, and sex is how they feel that intimacy. So, um, so that's a, like, that's a, an important concept to kind of be aware of because you want to, try and facilitate 
you know, the, that kind of, that balance, strike that nice balance between doing something physical and also opening up and meeting that need to share um, uh, emotions and, and to share uh, whatever's kind of going on uh, emotionally for you. So one of my biggest kind of practical pieces of advice for women is if you're wanting to kind of deepen your connection with your partner and, and get them to open up about things, is to do something physically with them. I typically say go for a walk or go for a drive, go and do something. And then when you're doing that activity, open up a conversation. Just ask him how he's, uh, you know, there's, uh, and so this is a, a thing, you know, rather than just asking how he's feeling about something, um, I often find that guys can be um, thought of as just like quiet surface level and superficial kind of what we shared before uh, and so uh, I often tell women to ask men what they what they see in something so you know, if they if you've, if you've just watched a TV show or if you've just seen a person an interesting person walking down the street ask him what he sees and he might give an answer that's like you know um, I just see a, a person walking or I just see a you know this um, old man or whatever it might be but invite him to go a little bit deeper. And then, like, what do you what do you perceive about this person? What do you what do you see? You know, more so than just that um, surface level thing. And a lot of guys are, are you know, although they don't really um, talk about it a lot, are quite perceptual. They'll they'll notice other things as well about that person. They might come up with like, oh, I probably think this person they look quite quite depressed, or I think there might be something going on in their lives, or you know, there's um they like they look quite happy, and they, they I think they're enjoying themselves or whatever it is but you know invite him to go a little bit deeper with with things that he sees it's just like a really easy route or easy avenue to go down to get him to to, to talk a little bit deeper about things from there you can kind of launch into a conversation that's a little bit more about emotions like okay well how do you feel then when you kind of see this person really enjoying themselves how do you feel when you see this person who kind of looks really sad and what, what comes up in you when you kind of see that and that kind of invites him then to go a little bit deeper again into what he notices in his own body after he's kind of perceived something and there's kind of two things with regards to this and, and that'll be kind of all I all I share is don't have a preconceived answer for what he should be feeling in your mind to begin with so a lot of um, and I, I've spoken to a lot of women about this and, and so I know that this is you know true and it happens quite a lot but a woman will ask her partner how he feels about something with a pre-planned answer in her head about what he should say. So um, she'd like if he doesn't say that you know, he's feeling sad about this, then you know she'll get angry and, and and or she'll get upset that he didn't say what she was kind of thinking um, that he would experience. So try not to have that preconceived uh, answer uh, for what you're asking in your head. Try and, uh, and it's easier said than done. I understand. Try and let go of what you're expecting to hear from him. Because then if you shut him down after what he shared, then he'll not feel like he's safe or, or comfortable enough to share again. And then the other thing I'll say about this is, and this is an analogy from Alison Armstrong, which is let him throw a second bucket down the well. So when a guy kind of shares what's, what's deeper for him, kind of think of that as like him throwing his first bucket down the well of his emotions and taking a bit of time to wind the bucket back up and, and tip it out and, and share what was inside. But then don't jump in straight away. Don't jump in with like, a, oh, okay, tell me more about that. You know, 
you know, can we can we go somewhere from there? Give them that space, give them that time, give them a little bit of uh, yeah, give them a little bit of that that um, freedom to send another bucket down the well to go a little bit deeper down the well and to come up with something um, more to come up with something more about that. So just allowing a little bit more um, space in between conversations or allowing a little bit more space in between questions can be sometimes really helpful for allowing a guy to kind of check in with himself and go a little bit deeper and, and share something that's a little bit more um, profound or reflective for him personally. So that's kind of my, um, yeah, my, my practical advice. It's about being curious, right? About being curious and about being patient. Um, I can say as a woman, sometimes I am impatient and sometimes I do go into the conversation with a preconceived idea of how I think my partner should feel. So I'm going to take your advice on board because, you know, I am a therapist and I do work with couples and I am also human. So I think your advice is quite sound. Um, But for me, what really stood out was the real need for curiosity. And that's Mm. kind of what I've heard from you throughout the chat that we've been having is for men to be curious with their bodies, not just, you know, uh, go go for the genitals, go for their penis and that's it. That's all they touch during masturbation, but be curious about where else in their body they can experience pleasure, where else in their life they can experience pleasure. Uh, For the female partners of heterosexual men to be curious about their own needs and what's going through their mind and their perceptions and experiences of things. So, I mean, that's been so interesting, Cam. And the, the final question I have for you, which is a question I ask all of my guests at the end of the episode, is what's been the most surprising thing that you've learned while you've been doing this work? Oh, um, probably the most surprising thing that I've learned has been, um, I don't know, I guess it, it's like the... Um, maybe the diversity of experiences that the human body is capable of. Like I was of the opinion, as you've just kind of so aptly pointed out, I was, I was not curious about my body. I was like, you know, I'm only really available to, to experience pleasure this one particular way. And, and that's, you know, what was reinforced by my mates. And, and so by going down this journey and learning more about sexuality and learning more about the human body, um, sexuality is you know, inextricably linked to the human body. I was like you know, blown away by the fact that there's all these different types of orgasms, that there's all these different types of experiences of pleasure, like the human body and um, you know, the, the mind and the, the, the brain is part of the human body as well, is capable of so many amazing, incredible experiences. Um, and so that was just like a, a huge uh, mind-boggling moment for me to kind of realise that there's this massive amount of expansion that we can experience um, just by virtue of going down this this path and, and by doing this work. And, and so that's one of the things that I try and reflect in the, in the work that I do with people uh, in general is you know, help them get a glimpse of like the, what's possible with their body. What's, you know, what, what this, what's incredible, you know, biomechanical machine can actually do. Um, so that's, that's been the most interesting thing that I've learned. Mm, that's fascinating, Cam. Really, really interesting. And, and, and you're speaking from a personal place as well, which I think is always, is always in strangely more powerful than just, you know, you or I as sexologist being able to speak from a professional place. You've, um, you've got your own amazing podcast. Uh, could you just tell us where to find you, where to find the podcast? How can people reach out to you? 
Yeah, of course. So the three ways you can find my work is uh, at my website, which is www.cam-fraser.com. Uh, on Instagram, which is at the Cam Fraser, put a whole bunch of educational content on there. Uh, guarantee you'll learn something new if you go to that page. And then on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast from, I've got the Men, Sex and Pleasure podcast uh, with Cam Fraser. That's me. And I, I would say I've learned a fortune from your podcast. Um, you know, it's, it's a, I think a podcast you know, I, I think it's a podcast aimed at men, but you know, I'm a woman and I'm earn, learning a fortune. So I really recommend Cam's podcast. Um, thank you so much, Cam. I appreciate your time. I know that it's valuable. Um, and I really hope we're going to get to chat again in the future. Yeah, no worries. Thank you so much again for having me on. Got a question you'd like to ask for a friend? Reach out to me via my website or Instagram and I'll be sure to include it in a Q&A episode soon. You can subscribe and follow this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please rate and review it.